Now we're good. Excellent. So we have uh, the last, well, yes, last week, this week, and next week are doing this mini little series through through three psalms. Um, and then it's Advent, and it just it blows my mind that it's Advent already. Um, I said this lots of times, but 2020 has been the longest and yet the shortest year of my life, and it's very confusing, and I don't know how to process all of that. Um, but we decided that as we had these three weeks, that what is, what is something that, that we could go through? it. And so I've decided to kind of deal with three Psalms of David. So last week we looked at the most famous scripture passage in, in the Bible, right? Psalm 23. And we looked at the fact that the Lord is our shepherd and he is our host and he cares for us. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. We're going to look at, at a different kind of aspect of this. this is the very personal creativity of God and how he's created us and how he loves us and cares for us and what he's doing actively in our lives. And then next week, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 51, and, and David's own confession of, of sin. And, and we're going to look at the severity of sin and what it does to our lives. And, and, and more than that, we're going to look at the goodness and the graciousness of Jesus and that his death on the cross has forgiven us from those sins. And if we repent and, and believe in him and make him Lord of our life, that, that even though there is sin and it does have impact, and we're going to talk about that, but that we can know that we have been forgiven of that and that, that we can one day be with God for eternity. And so I hope that in these three weeks, especially as, I don't know about you, but this week was hard for me. This was a rough one. Uh, there's just a lot going on and a lot of decisions that have to be made and a lot of um, maybe a lack in my own heart of knowledge and understanding of how to do it. And, and so this week has, has been a very difficult one. And then yet when I open scripture and when I read and when I study, uh, hopefully these Psalms do exactly what we need to be reminded of, that God loves us desperately, that none of this has surprised God, that he is at work and that he is doing things, not, not just in kind of the big picture, but also in the very intimate details of each one of our lives. And, and I need to be reminded of that often. And in fact, I was telling Shayla this morning is um, it, how I how I prepare for a sermon is, is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are, are just note-making, right? Just reading, studying the passage, making notes, finding quotes, getting everything kind of sorted. And then Friday morning is when I actually like put it all together. And so Friday morning, I wrote the sermon. And then Saturday night, I always go through it right before I go to bed, kind of last thing that goes in my mind. And between Friday morning and Saturday night, when I went through it, I had apparently forgotten everything that I'd written. And uh, I have not experienced this to that degree before, is I was reading through my own words, and I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back, because that's not the point, but I was doing, I was reading through it, and I was convicted by my own sentences of just how little I trusted God in, in like, that's such a short period of time, where I just got distracted and, and lost focus and, and was frustrated and didn't trust and all these things, and then I was reading through this last night, just under conviction going, Oh man, do I need the grace of Jesus. And I hope that we always remember that we need that. And I hope that this morning that these words that, that are from Scripture and, and, and hopefully, right, the things that, that I have to say, that they're not my words, that these are, these are from the Lord and that these can encourage our hearts and, and challenge us and, and this morning particularly give us comfort 
So let's read together Psalm 139, 24 verses, and then, and then we'll kind of study through them. So it says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's a lot in there. And, and obviously we're not going to have time to kind of go verse by verse through this. But I want to point out uh, a few different things as we go through this. But first, in my study I came across... Um, this kind of explanation of this, and I thought it was just so so wonderfully put. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I want to read it just because it breaks it down so nicely. So A.P. Ross uh, says this, God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence are the subject of David's meditations in this beautiful psalm. So really quickly, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence is God's all-knowing, all-present, and all-powerful. He says this, the psalms or sorry, this psalm has four strophes of six verses each. The message progresses significantly from one subject to another. His first is on God's knowledge, that every aspect of his life was searched out and controlled by what the Lord knew. He then realized it was impossible to escape from such omniscient control, no matter how far or fast he might go, for God is everywhere. David then stated that God has such control over him because in his power he created him secretly and planned his life with great care. On the basis of these meditations, David then affirms his loyalty to God and prayed for God to prove him by examining him. That's about as simple as we can break it down. Is We're going to look at, at kind of six verses at a time and look at these four different strophes that are here uh, and, and what they say to us. 
Now, what you'll notice is verse 1 and verse 24 are essentially the same thing, right? Verse 1, he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Though he says it from a past tense perspective, right? God, you already, you've seen me, you know me. And then he goes into that. But then at the end, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is that's going to be the prayer as we go through this as well, is God already knows us. God has already seen everything that is in there. And as we process this together the same way that David does, when we get to the end, my hope is that we'll be willing to have that same prayer again and to invite the Lord in. Say, you already know me. You've already seen me. But God, would you then now work at me and show me where I need to change, where I need to repent, what I need to move towards and what I need to move away from. Ultimately, that is the goal of this song. The theme of this is simply, if you broke it down to one word, is simply this, no. God knows you. God has created you. God desperately loves you. God has intricately and, and specifically and purposefully been at work in you since long before you could even have any idea of that. David talks about this intimate knowledge in the beginning. He starts with some very basic things, right? You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts. You search out the path for my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. But then in verse 4, he says this, Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. Now, there's a crazy thought for us, isn't there? is that the situation that we find ourselves in at any given moment is before we even have any idea of how we're going to respond to that situation, God, God already knows. How do you process that? How do you, how do you make peace with that, that kind of an idea? Well, David asks the same question. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain it. See John Collins, and I'm going to quote Collins a few times throughout this morning. He, he simply breaks it down as this, is this knowledge is beyond my ability to comprehend. One of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians is that we desire, and, and rightly so, we desire to know God. We want to be uh, in an intimate relationship with God. And so we're studying scripture and we're learning more and more about God. And, and the more intentional we are with that, hopefully the more effectively we grow and we mature, but that never stops until we die. Because the simple reality of it is that we have a limited scope of understanding. And sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we don't like that we can't piece everything together and we can't um, make everything just tie up neatly in a nice box and put a nice bow on it. Some of it's very complicated. I have this conversation often with people is, is the sovereignty of God and yet the free will of man as scripture teaches both. And I don't really know how to make all that make sense perfectly, but I know that it teaches both. So I know that both are true. Sometimes when we read words like this and we go, how can it be true that God knows every thought that I'm even going to have before I make it? And we, we struggle trying to find how, how do we answer that or how do we make a peace with that? It sounds like a cop-out, but what the reality is, is we need to come to surrender to the fact that I don't know. And the truth of the matter is we would never worship a God that we could fully understand because we wouldn't need him. The reality is that we can't comprehend who God is because he is completely other. He's holy. He's 
far superior to us in every way, and that is a good, good thing. It just makes life a little bit difficult to understand at times. This is beyond my comprehension. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we should just use that as a cop-out where we go, well, I can't understand, so I'm not going to bother. That's not what Scripture teaches us. The Scripture teaches us to examine, right, in Acts, to examine what is being spoken and what is being said and what is being read so that we would understand it and that we would see if it's true or not. There's a maturity that, that happens as we grow, and the more that we read Scripture and the more that we allow the Holy Spirit uh, leadership in our life, the more we're going to grow. But that doesn't mean we're going to come to this one complete final level of understanding where we know all things. Even, it sometimes is difficult, but even when we come to go be with God in heaven, is we're not all of a sudden going to understand everything. We are still created beings under this holy and awesome God. And so at some point, while it can be difficult, we can say, even though I don't understand this fully, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you. And that can be the greatest act of surrender that we can make. But David kind of makes an interesting response here when you move on to the next six verses. And he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? It, it seems from the outset of that verse that David, as he's processing through all of this, is too lofty for me. I don't even understand it. It's now he's going, I can't even escape you. I can't even run away because no matter where I go, there you are. And scholars kind of differ here on what exactly David is saying. Is he, is he afraid of that, what he has just realized? And is he, is he seeking to run away but then realizing that that's futile and he can't get there? Some will argue that this goes back to Genesis 3 in the fall where Adam and Eve sin and then they try and hide from God because they recognize their unholiness in that moment. And, and, and perhaps that's true, but I think perhaps we're trying to make the psalm say what it doesn't say. When we look at it in context, the rest of the psalm is David going, I'm so privileged to be in your presence, and that's, that's what I want. And so I think it's an overwhelmed response in a moment of, even if I wanted to escape you, I never, I never could. I think that's maybe a better way of understanding this. And, and the reason I think it's that and not the other is because if we look at it from the sense of if I have guilt or shame and that makes me want to run away from God, that never is a proper motiva motivator that helps me. Guilt and shame never draw me close to Jesus. They actually take the focus off of Jesus and onto me. And that's dangerous. In fact, I think that's very, very dangerous. Collins writes it this way, there is nowhere in the universe that God will not be present to lead and to hold the believer. Nowhere too dark for God to see him or her. And I think that's what David is saying, is, is not that he wants to flee and run away from God, but that he recognizes that even if he chose to do that, he couldn't because God is so actively involved in his life. And for David, that's a comforting thing. He says, even the darkness is not dark to you. God doesn't operate by the rules that we're bound by. Isn't that great news? God is not bound by the, those kinds of things while we might be. David might be overwhelmed in this moment, but it's so deeply comforting to him that God is completely separate from all of these things. Now, 
I just want to clarify this before we keep going. If you are a believer in Christ, so if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, then the proper response to something like this is, is much the way that John Newton wrote the old hymn, Amazing Grace. Is yes, it's probably good for us to acknowledge that I am a sinful wretch that does not deserve grace and mercy. But it's not okay to stop there. Because then the focus is on us and not on Jesus. But when we look past that too, and yet Jesus willingly went to the cross to suffer on my behalf, to die on the cross for my sins because of his love for me, then I start to realize again what I say all the time, the gospel is for me, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And when we start to understand that kind of a thing is, is yes, I do not deserve God's grace, and I do need to remind myself of that. But not because I have so much guilt and shame. I need to remind myself of that because despite that, Jesus loves me unconditionally. And what that should do is change the motivation from this idea of guilt or shame to know the amazing grace that God has for me that I do not deserve. He is given to me in spite of me. That is the greatest news that we could ever have. It's not about me. It's about him. I know I say that all the time, but I think we need to be reminded of that. And I needed yesterday night to be reminded of that. And I probably will need to be reminded of that later today again because how quickly we forget and how quickly we get focused on my own life and my own hurt and my own pain. And I start to forget the goodness of God and what he is doing in my life. The next six verses have something quite interesting, and uh, commentator D. Kidner writes it this way. He says, The third stanza brings together and carries forward the thought of the first two. God not only sees the invisible and penetrates the inaccessible, but is operative there, the author of every detail of my being. Right? So these next six verses, this is often used in the pro-life, pro-choice argument, and rightly so. When we read, for you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, excuse me, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. When, when you meditate on those verses, it is completely shocking to think of what God is at work and what God is doing long before anybody is even aware of what's happening. Colin says it this way again, the worshiper realizes that even before his mother knew that she was pregnant, the Lord was already showing his care for him. His personal life began in the womb and God has already laid out its course. This is just, what Scripture teaches us is that before, before I even, or before my, my mother is even aware of what is happening, that God is at work and he is creating. And he's doing it with his wisdom, with his desires for us. I think we need to be reminded of this often and, and, and perhaps you, know, you need to be reminded of this this morning is, is that God didn't make a mistake when he created you. 
as David said, there's more thoughts that God has for us than we could ever imagine. And, and the, the, David kind of writes it in the sense of like, even if we were to like fall asleep while thinking about all of those thoughts that God has for us, even when we wake up, he's still there. We, we can't escape this. Is God did not make a mistake. You are inherently valuable, not because of you, but because of God's care and love and his desire of how he's created you. God has put his image in you, right? So the way that you look, the personality that you have, the strengths and the gifts that you've been given, those are all intentional. God's done this for purpose and for reason. And I think sometimes we get to a place in our life where we go, I wish I didn't look like this or sound like this or have this or, or I wish I was more like that. All those kinds of things. We think them often. But when we start to read a psalm like this and we recognize is God doesn't want that and doesn't wish that is in fact he wants you to be you. And I would argue that when we start to read in the New Testament that when God gifts us is that he wants all of us to use our unique giftings for the sake of the body. And when I am not actively involved in the body and in, in, in the the church, the local church of Christ, when I am not involved, then I am actually hurting it because God wants us all to be at work together in it. Not the way that somebody else is gifted, but the way that I am. And so when we think about it with this really intentional God, when he started to work, is he knew what I was going to look like. He knew what I was going to sound like. And when he created this person and when Greg was formed and when Greg was done and when Greg was birthed, God is honored because this is who he has made. And I think we need to be reminded of that, especially in our culture, right? As you can't walk to get groceries without seeing 17 magazines of, of why you're not good enough and you should look like this and, and act like that and all these things. And rather, we need to remind ourselves that no, no, I'm who I am quirks and all because God has designed me that way and wants to use me in that way. Uh, verse 14, I'm going to go back just a little bit because this is really interesting, is I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is a very common verse that many of us have memorized. But as I started to read into this, and if you have the ESV, you'll have a little footnote there, and then there's a little kind of alternate reading there. And as I read into that and studied it, what I learned is that the Hebrew rendition of this actually reads more like this. I praise you for I am fearfully set apart. That is a pretty amazing thought. Is when you think about the Hebrew nation being set apart, and then when you read through the New Testament, that those of us who God has chosen to work in, in crazy, amazing ways for the sake of his kingdom, is he is the one who has chosen those. He has set us apart for his good so that we would accomplish his purposes. He has set us apart for those things. So Collins writes, this psalm would be, would be one that was sung in the congregation. And so in that context, he says, the faithful person singing this psalm, who in the Old Testament would be a child of faithful parents, can affirm that God set his special love upon him from the earliest stages of his personal life. If that's how God thinks about us, then who are we to doubt him? Let's move on uh, to the next 
six verses. And this is where it gets difficult. This is where, um, at first reading, there's a really sharp turn from, God, you are so amazing and so wonderful, and, and you're working in ways that I just can't even understand, and the love and the, and the detail and the care that you have for me is, is amazing. And then, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Quite a sharp turn from this. And I think what we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind ourselves a couple of things. Is one that anytime we're reading the Old Testament, is it's always meant to be interpreted from our standpoint, not just in that moment, but also with the New Testament in context. All of the Old Testament leads and points to Jesus. That's, that's the purpose. That's the goal, is the Messiah come. And so when we read ahead in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we read this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And we use this verse often in the context of marriage, right? That's usually where it's talked about. And, and that's fine because it does say that, but it's a far more broad context than that. And, and those of you who have had children, you know this to be the case, right? Is, is when you're raising your children... You want them to influence others for Christ, but we're always aware that the world also influences our children and us. And when we have a partnership with people that have different world value or worldviews than we do and different values than us, that can be a dangerous thing. And David, in this section here, he's, what he's showing us is that he wants nothing to do with anything that is not of God. That is his focus. And anyone that who opposes God, he wants nothing to do with them. Scott Hafman writes, this is an image for being allied or identified wrongly with, with unbelievers. And so David is saying, I want nothing to do with that. I want everything to do with you. So then, in the context of where we find ourselves now under the new covenant, under the blood of Jesus, is that we recognize that God loves every single person, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And so we understand this slightly different in the sense that we're not called to hate people, right? We, we say it this way all the time, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Which is a nice kind of neat package way to say that, but it's actually quite complicated is that those who oppose God, we are, to, we are to not stand for anything that they oppose. And so when we're entering into relationship with people, we have to enter in with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would not be influenced to the world. And, and the problem is that so often we are. And we start to think, well, the world does it this way, so we should do it this way. Or this is now a normal thing in culture, and so even though the Bible speaks to this, I don't really like it, and so I'm going to just adopt the cultural, uh, the, the, whatever culture we find ourselves in, we'll, we'll adopt that meaning instead. But the reality is, is when we give our hearts to Christ, it's a spiritual battle from that day until the day that we die. And we need to be so consumed with what God teaches and what God says that when we enter into a relationship with people that we're so attuned with the Holy Spirit that we are influencing them through the power of the Spirit, right? It's not me doing it. It's God that's doing it. And then that God is protecting us so that we are not influenced in that worldly way. So that we don't get sucked in to thinking the way that others think. And so when we read some of these Old Testament kind of ways and we go, when David says, I hate them with complete hatred, is we need to understand this from the New Covenant context, is that sin is very dangerous. 
and we should have nothing to do with sin. But on the flip side of that is Jesus went to the cross for us so that our sins would be forgiven. And so Jesus is offering that extension, that, that offering of forgiveness to all, and it's our role, our responsibility as Christians to go and to share that and to declare that for people. So we have to find that balance. And, and we're going to talk at length about that next week in Psalm 51, right, where David is confessing his own sin and what it's done to his relationship with God. And again, we're going to talk about that in the context of the New Testament and, and what that means with Jesus. But we'll get there next week. David then finishes, again, like I said, with the same thought he started with, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Is This is about the most scary prayer I think that we could pray, isn't it? Yes, God already knows our hearts, and he knows what we're thinking, and he knows what, what is going through our minds. And yet, some people will argue that David is so righteous that in this moment that he's calling out and saying, God, you go ahead and search me because you're not going to find anything in me that's wrong. I, again, I think that makes the text say what it doesn't say. In the context of what we've just read, I think what David is saying is, God, I want to desperately be in presence with you. And so come in and see, and whatever is in me that shouldn't be there, would you just, would you just be at work? Show me what to get rid of. Show me where I need to put my focus. And I think this is a prayer that we need to have all the time. It's, God, show me where I can be effective. Show me what things I should spend my time on. Show me what things I should leave behind. Show me how to be attuned to what you are doing. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but when our AGC pastors got together in Calgary a number of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that, that COVID has caused a lot of division and a lot of distraction. Our mission has not changed. We are to declare Jesus to our community. It's that simple. Yes, there are difficulties that are, that are making the way in which we do that maybe a little bit more complicated. And maybe the avenues in which we accomplish those things have to shift a little bit. But the mission is still the same. And so if we're focusing more on social media and the things that are happening, and, and COVID has become the number one thing that's in our mind, then how are we supposed to honor Christ with that? Again, I'm not trying to say we pretend like it's not there, because it is there. It's part of our world, and we need to figure out, God, how would you make me work in this? But the only way we can do that is by inviting God and saying, God, would you purge out what does not need to be in me, and in fact, what shouldn't be in me, so that I can do what you have called me to do more effectively. And I don't know about you, but like I said already, between Friday morning and Saturday night, I had forgotten some of that. We need to be reminded of this often. This is why we go to Scripture. This is why... Church, as wonderful as it is and as essential as it is, is not meant to be the only part of your spiritual life. You, we are meant to open the Word daily and to study it because in it we get perspective. In it we are reminded of how we can run after Jesus and how we can leave the things that we're struggling with at the foot of the cross. Let's remember when we read scriptures like this that God loves us desperately, that God has purpose for our lives, that that none of this is by accident and that God wants to use us for his glory and for his honor. Let's pray. God, this morning we, well, I confess that as I read through this, that I need to read through it over and over and over. God, it is so easy to get distracted, especially in today's world.
It is so easy to lose focus and to be discouraged by what we see and what we hear. But God, we know that according to Romans, that you are at work in all of these things, ultimately for our good. And so we pray that you would, as David has prayed, that you would search us, that you would expose what's in our hearts that shouldn't be there. And that we would then have the courage to follow through and to do what needs to be done. God, thank you that you love us so desperately. Thank you that you have created each one of us so uniquely for your purposes, for your good, and that none of us are an accident, none of us are a mistake, that all of us have been intricately woven together by your hand. God, on the days when we don't feel that we are worthy or that we are lovable, would we remind ourselves that, yeah, that might be true, but Jesus has offered us salvation. Not because of us, but because of you. So help us to focus more and more on you all the time so that your grace becomes the motivating factor behind why we do everything that we do. God, go with us today, this week. Give us opportunities to declare your name to those that we encounter. Give us wisdom with how to speak to people. And would you guard our hearts so that we do not allow the culture of this world to influence our thinking, but that we allow you and you alone to influence the way that we think. God, we love you. Go with us now. Amen.